MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 19th, 2020. Today, the Supreme Court hands the Trump administration another defeat. Bolton could face legal problems. Facebook has taken down 88 Trump ads featuring a Nazi symbol, a dangerous shakeup for global media groups. Trump could strike Colonel Vindman's promotion for testifying in his impeachment inquiry. The Arizona sheriff that refused to enforce a lockdown contracts coronavirus. Garrett Rolfe has turned himself in for the murder of Rayshard Brooks. Another top Pentagon official resigns. A Fort Hood soldier is missing. And Pelosi calls for the removal of paintings of Confederate speakers of the House. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Welcome. We are still having a couple of technical difficulties with uh, Jordan's recording rig. So she is going to be giving her update remotely in the A block on several of the headlines that I just went through. Also today, Friday, if you're listening uh, as a member, as a part of the public, uh, we have our cocktail hour live stream meet and greet uh, today, Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time for patrons, 5 p.m. Uh, we will tweet that out to the public from both of our accounts at Daily Beans Pod and at Muller She Wrote. Please join us. It's so much fun. Uh, we're still looking for a theme. We will let you know via email uh, and on Twitter as soon as we have one. And today is just an incredible day. Um, we are going to be talking a little bit later in the show with uh, Harry Littman, who is, who teaches uh, Supreme Court as a political entity, SCOTUS as a Supreme uh, as a political entity uh, at UCLA Law School, and he also clerked for uh, two Supreme Court justices. We're going to discuss the DACA decision, what it means, uh, and just but what an incredible week um, for us and for justice. And so I think. We've been waiting for these kinds of this sort of good news for justice to hold for the system to work that we've been holding out hope for so long. And we our hopes have not been dashed, at least not yet. And next week, we uh, are expecting the decision in the uh, Mazars Deutsche Bank Capital One cases. There are three of those that were condensed into one case. I personally think my beans are that the Manhattan DA will win his case uh, to get the Mazars information and House Oversight will win theirs to get Mazars. But I think when Roberts kept looking for a middle ground to somehow sort of maybe curb the, the powers of the legislature over the executive branch, they might not rule in favor of the House Finance Committee and Intel Committee getting the Deutsche Bank and Capital One uh, financial information from uh, about Trump. Um, not that Deutsche Bank hasn't destroyed it already, but <laughs> uh, in any case, I think that that's probably how that ruling will go. But we will wait and see. Uh, as you know, I, personally, I haven't been surprised by the Supreme Court. Happily surprised, but I, you know me, I've always been saying justice will hold. The system works. We must have faith. It was hard. It's hard, and it's still going to be hard to do so. With, you know, folks like Kavanaugh and, you know, longtime Alito, Thomas, all those uh, Supreme Court justices. Uh, you know me. I'm for having more Supreme Court justices. I want 15. Um, I want to the Supreme Court to be more representative of what the United States looks like. 
And uh, I also think D.C., Puerto Rico should be uh, have represent representation in, in Congress. Anyway, um, aside from that, aside from uh, that good news, which, again, like I said, we'll be discussing uh, with Harry Littman later in the show, we will be having good news uh, also with Mandy Reeder. And then, of course, this Saturday, uh, we will be releasing to the public, I think, our third installment of our new show, Quarantine Confessions, which used to be a segment on this show but got so wildly popular it earned its own show. And so that'll be coming out Saturday to the public, Friday for patrons. If you're interested in becoming a patron or sponsoring someone who can't afford to become a patron right now, uh, send us an email or just sign up at patreon.com slash the daily beans and we'll take care of you. You can be a patron for as little as three bucks a month. And that goes towards uh, supporting this program and uh, all of our other fine programming that we put out. Potentially, maybe Muller she wrote coming back in the future. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, anyway, we have a lot of news to get to, as you could tell from the top of the show and the introduction. And so without further ado, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. I've got a few stories for you today. Uh, I just have to give a fair warning, though, that the content of the stories is pretty brutal today. Um, so just giving a trigger warning. It doesn't really start well, it doesn't really end well, but it's incredibly important for us to talk about it, so uh, let's get into it. The first story that I've got is coming out of, so this is free press, authoritarian shit, but basically what's happening, there's this US agency called the US Agency for Global Media, which I did not know existed, uh, it's, the acronym is USAGM. And I went to their website and looked it up at their .gov, and their mission statement goes as such. The mission of the United States Agency for Global Media is to inform, engage, and connect people around the world in support of freedom and democracy. The agency's mission is reinforced by those of the individual entities that are overseen by USAGM. So this is a federal agency that's been around for a long time. And it's got those smaller organizations underneath it that are working on more specific communication issues, basically. Uh, and it's split up by region a lot of the times. So I was looking at the, the agencies listed out under there. And what has happened is yesterday, um, there was basically a Wednesday night massacre that occurred there. A bunch of heads of those smaller agencies got fired unilaterally, uh, presumably with the intention of filling those seats in those high-up federal comm departments, basically, uh, with what I think we can assume will be friends of the president. So that's bad. That's very bad. A new Trump-appointed CEO, Michael Pack. He apparently intends to turn the agency into a political arm of the administration, as CNN reports. And it's really hard to interpret what happened yesterday as anything other than the first step in that. The agencies that had the people fired were, um, or I should say, the heads of the agencies that were fired was the heads of were the heads of Middle East Broadcasting. That's one. Uh, another one is Radio Free Asia. Another is Radio Free Europe slash Radio Liberty. And the other is Open Technology Fund. 
uh, all of those heads were kicked out. Um, a source within the agency gave CNN the quote, they let go of all the heads of the networks. It's unprecedented. Unprecedented. Sounds like it's something that should be unprecedented and only done when you uh, are deciding you need to completely reboot your national comm strategy, which is not something that any us people or civilians have been made aware of as far as I'm concerned, which probably means it's some sketchy shit. And it is some sketchy shit. And honestly, this whole... I don't know. This is the first time I've heard of this agency, like I said. Uh, But I was reading some of the mission statements of, you know, these individual smaller organizations. And it seems pretty ripe for commie hunting, if you ask me. It's definitely got that Red Scare spirit in it. And it's making me incredibly uncomfortable uh, please feel free to give me counter evidence if I am interpreting the function of those offices incorrectly or perhaps over cynically. Um, but I mean, one of the things that's happening, Jeffrey Shapiro, he's a super, super ally of, um, Trump's of fucking Steve Bannon and, He's apparently going to be named the lead of the Office of Cuba Broadcasting, which is another group that is part of the same tier that the other groups are part of whose heads were let go. So they're bringing in a Trump crony to head the Office of Cuba Broadcasting. What fucking decade are we in? They're going to come in and take fascist control of our nation's communication strategies. And it looks like it's for the purpose of operating under the guise of promoting democracy. Meanwhile, everybody else in the administration is taking away people's rights constantly. So I think I think that's what's happening, everybody. Really, really fucked up and creepy that that's happening. Um, apparently, sources are also saying that those organizations' boards were also just entirely dissolved and apparently two of those sources said that the new board members uh, one of the new board members that's coming in is an official from Liberty Council. Uh, Liberty Council is a really conservative Christian organization so yeah they're just uh, cleaning up shop another instance of them cleaning up shop and putting in a organized front messaging of ideals that harken back to older and darker times in our country's history and that's the first story second story i got for you is coming out of atlanta so the police officer that was charged with shooting rayshard brooks and murdering rayshard books is um i shouldn't say he was charged for murdering he did murder rayshard brooks and he is the officer who was charged uh a second officer who's also at the scene was also charged. We talked about that yesterday. They were supposed to turn themselves in. They have turned themselves in to authorities. Um, Garrett Rolfe, he surrendered on Thursday and he faces 11 counts, including felony murder, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, criminal damage to property and violation of oath. And we'll keep following the updates in that case. As they come, this is 
Rayshard Brooks, who is found sleeping in his car at a Wendy's drive-thru, and he presumably was getting arrested for a DUI, basically, and it escalated to the point where he successfully ran, uh, and he grabbed one of the cop's tasers, and while his back was facing the cops and he was running away, as he was running away, he was shot in the back and killed. He died at the hospital. If you haven't heard that story yet, I think it's important to hear it. And if you have heard the story, it's important to hear it again. There's a lot of events going on this weekend for Juneteenth and a lot of direct action that will be demanding justice for Rayshard Brooks and the countless other black men, women, and trans lives that have been murdered by police. I really encourage everybody to see what's going on around their community and see if they can support them locally. You don't have to show up. If you can show up and you're comfortable showing up, I think you should show up. If you're not, that's totally cool. Um, if you're concerned, we we are in the middle of a pandemic. There's a bunch of different funds. There's supplies you can drop off. Um, bail funds are going to be... I'm trying to do a dollar-for-dollar dollar match. It's not that much money. I don't have an incredible amount of money to give, but I'm giving... I want to do a, just like a $100 dollar for dollar match and no one's taken me up on that yet i did one for two hundred dollars like a week ago and that got done and that was cool so i'm just coming around again with a hundred dollar one so if anyone wants to help double the money that's going to go to a bail fund please visit my twitter and uh find the post it should only be like a few posts down and then just send me a screenshot of a donation that you've made to a bail fund and i will go ahead and match that donation and post a screenshot with proof that i have done it um so let's get that done and donate more. A hundred dollars collectively amongst the amount of followers that I have on Twitter should be very easy to make. And I hope that there's more people that uh I, I know, you know, money is tight for a lot of people right now. If you can do it, it's so important to be putting your money into organizations that need it right now. And yeah, there, I, I anticipate a lot of arrests this weekend because of the nature of there being a lot of direct action. And that seems to be how that goes. Um, the next story is coming out of Fulton County. Um, what happened after the charges were announced uh, for felony murder and the other charges against these police officers. What happened was a, a bunch of Atlanta police officers called in sick right before a shift change Wednesday evening in what was seemingly basically like a walkout, um, or rather a refusal to come in. The reporting is that the city was, you know, left scrambling to try to cover all of these posts that were abandoned, uh, but... When Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms spoke, she said, we do have enough officers to cover us through the night. Our streets won't be any less safe because of the number of officers who called out. Which makes me think, um, I wonder if I wonder how much of that statement was maybe geared towards sentiments of redistributing either funds or how we think about the physical presence of, of officers, you know, her saying our streets will be any less safe because of the number of officers who called out. Probably reading into that too much. I'm sure she's just saying not enough, not enough did to make a difference. But when I read that, I think, okay, so there's a, we have evidence that if we have less cops, that the resources can be redistributed effectively to the point where the safety is not 
impaired. But the real headline of that to be directly examined and remembered is that you've got more bros in blue. The blue bros having each other's backs when they do heinous things. And so we have that coming out of Atlanta, unfortunately. Um, Finally, my last story is about a woman who's gone missing. She went missing in April, Vanessa Guillen. Um, She went missing in Fort Hood. Uh, She's a soldier in the Army. And so this, this story is baffling because how do you go missing on a protected piece of military land like that? How do you go missing on a base? If you've ever been to a base, it is incredibly protected. It is like 24 hours a day. You know, the front guard position is someone that's armed and they've... I mean, it's a fucking military base. Like, obviously, it's incredibly protected and monitored how does someone go missing how does a woman go missing and there be no leads on her whereabouts how does that happen and how does that happen when there's this other detail of the story that soon before uh, she went missing she had spoken up about a sexual assault that she had experienced at the hands of someone else on the base so there's a lot of questions and there's not a lot of answers right now. And her reward, the reward for any information about her and her finding has gone up to uh, $55,000. It was at $25,000 and there's people, there's big nonprofits and there's celebrities getting in saying that they'll throw money in essentially to that reward pool. Uh, one person, uh, or I'm sorry, one group uh, that has added to that is it was $25,000 was matched by the League of United Latin American Citizens. Uh, that happened on Tuesday. And then there was also a rapper who had said that they would pledge $5,000 to go into that reward pool. So uh, this is just a really tragic story to follow. But we just, that's, un- you can't have. <laughs> How does somebody go missing on a military base? And it happened at this military base previously with another person uh, as well. So we'll be following that story and our hearts go out to her family and everybody's family that's dealing with incompetent government right now that is aiding and abetting loss of life. Um... I know I'm going to get tweets that I sound bummed, and thank you for your concern. I am bummed. It's okay to be bummed. It's very appropriate to be bummed, and thank you for, for listening. And I know some you know some people really have to push through when they're, they're listening to these kind of headlines and reading about this stuff, and I think giving compassion to yourself is important, and it's also important to keep pushing uh, to be present and to hear these stories and to do what you can, uh, but also take care of yourself. That's if you're not taking care of yourself, then it's going to be really, really hard to take care of other people and do any sort of meaningful action or provide any sort of um, sustainable support, really. But I'm here. If you want to talk, um, 
I try to go through my DMs relatively consistently. Uh, so hit me up there if you need if you need some talking to, and if you need some talking to, that sounded aggressive. If you need someone to talk to, hit me up in the DMs. And I love you all. Uh, have a great Friday as best you can, patrons. We will see you. At our exclusive happy hour at 4 p.m. If you're not a patron, sign up to be a patron. And we all hang out together on Fridays. And it's it's dope. And it's really fun. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. All right, Jordan. Thanks for that update. She should be back with us uh, doing the uh, banter, the back and forth um, on the weekend show. So check that out. And uh, we will uh, have her back soon. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, right after this break, uh, we have news from... Under the radar, and then of course the big headlines today with with the DACA Supreme Court decision. We'll be talking to Harry Littman, so stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry.com. It's been more than 75 years since many courageous soldiers, maybe even your grandfather, I know my grandfather, left home to fight for the highest possible purpose. You can explore Ancestry's new collection of untold stories from World War II and then find and honor the veterans in your family who served. You may be familiar with the major events and battles of World War II, but there are so many more stories to uncover. So discover this diverse perspective, uh, and you can hear it from those who were there and learn about the untold stories of the men and women who faced the war uh, with dignity and courage. The skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, an all-African-American squad of fighter pilots, or the incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics, or the Japanese-American battalion that became one of America's most decorated units, despite the massive discrimination against Japanese-Americans at the time. So in honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting-age men in the United States across the country during that time, whether they ended up serving or not. So this is a great chance you could find your relatives in this collection, and it can help you learn about what their lives must have been like. You can uncover your ancestors' personal details on their World War II U.S. draft card collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, and more. Find and honor the veterans in your family who rose to the occasion when the world needed the most. And get a new take on their World War II experience. Discover your untold stories and more. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, this is AG. We have a few headlines from under the radar today. John Bolton, he could be facing legal troubles. I'm so sad for him uh, for leaking, quote unquote, his book to the press without permission from the White House, which he actually got from the intelligence community. They cleared it. But then Trump said no. Uh, and it's interesting that Trump is trying to block it because there's classified information in it, uh, not for defamy or anything like that. Just it's classified, which means it's all true. Um, but some people are calling Bolton a liar. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not buying the book. However, Bolton could be facing legal troubles. Bill Barr is looking into it. Um, this is despite the book already being in the hands of the press. Uh, and I don't know. I think it'd be pretty kind of, it might be one of the best schadenfreude segments of all time. If we got the Bolton book, nobody bought it and he ended up in jail. Um, I would, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because I don't think that that's <laughs> uh, it. It would be wrong. It might be wrongful imprisonment. I don't know. We'll see. Um, justice isn't always served the way we want it to be, but he could be looking at legal trouble. 
Uh, and in an interview, in an interview this week, uh, Bolton says Trump uh, is unfit for office. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. All right, moving on from John Bolton. Facebook has removed 88 Trump campaign ads featuring an upside down red triangle, which is a symbol used by Nazis to designate people in concentration camps as political prisoners. It's a Nazi symbol. Uh, 88 is interesting. That's a weird number. I remember this from my sharp days, my skinheads against racial prejudice days back in the late 80s. Uh, People had 88 tattooed on them because H is the eighth letter of the alphabet, and 88 stood for HH, which stood for Heil Hitler. So I don't know that there's a connection there that, you know, with 88 ads, but it is a very common number used in white supremacist groups. And you can find that information also on the Southern Poverty Law Center website about the top 10 most dangerous Nazis, neo Nazis, white supremacists in America. And multiple government officials told the Washington Post today that the White House could strike Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's name from a list of soldiers up for promotion once that list is conveyed to the Pentagon. That is effectively sanctioning him for the testimony he gave under subpoena to House lawmakers during the impeachment inquiry. And perhaps related, but perhaps not, we don't know, but a top Pentagon official has just resigned from the New York Times' Catherine Wheelbarger. Uh, of the Pentagon's most prominent and respected one of she is one of the Pentagon's most prominent and respected policy officials. She is resigning after three years in the job after Trump dropped his plan to nominate her for an intelligence job. Wheelbarger, who is highly regarded by national security experts and Democrats, had been named by the White House on February 13th to a senior intelligence position. But last week, Trump announced he would nominate Bradley Hansel, a former special assistant to Trump instead. Hansel. Hansel. So hot right now. Hansel. And Arizona Sheriff Mark Lamb, who said he would not enforce Arizona Governor Doug Ducey's stay-at-home order last month, has revealed that he has tested positive for coronavirus after being checked before a planned visit with Trump, probably getting ready to praise him for not enforcing the lockdown. And from Politico, Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Thursday ordered the removal of four portraits of former House speakers who also served as Confederate leaders, a symbolic step to rid the U.S. Capitol of uh, pro-slavery relics amid a nationwide reckoning over race. There are now photos of those paintings being taken down. Uh, They were taken down Thursday afternoon. Uh, Pelosi will join the House clerk to take, the House clerk uh, joined Pelosi to take the paintings down um, a day before Juneteenth, which marks the day that last enslaved Americans, African Americans in in the Confederacy. Um, That was when they learned of their freedom. So that, uh, I think that's, one in a thousand steps, right? Um, we've been hearing about all these small changes, all these incremental changes, all this low-hanging fruit that can be plucked right now um, to to make change, to stop microaggressions, etc. And now we roll up our sleeves and get busy on the big work. And today, uh, another historic decision uh, from the Supreme Court and joining me today to discuss is former federal prosecutor and professor of the Supreme Court as a political institution at UCLA School of Law. And he clerked for two different SCOTUS justices, Harry Littman. Harry, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for joining me again uh, this week because we, we, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier this week about the the Bostock ruling or Bostock. Yeah, big Supreme Court week. It is a huge Supreme Court week. Um, not not for Trump, uh, <laughs> uh, but I wanted to talk to you about this decision, um, particularly uh, some of the, you know mechanical parts of it uh, that I wanted to understand, because I heard today, uh, you know, as they were announcing that 
uh, DACA stands as as it is, and and the Dreamers can stay. Uh, but uh, it's important to note that the Supreme Court did not rule on the like the merits of this case, the substance of this case. They instead ruled on how Trump went about it. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, at first it is kind of important because it's a common theme. You know, they they uh, butcher the normal procedures that they're supposed to do. Trump runs roughshod over them and doesn't care, but uh, the law uh, does care. And what happened here was that he went to rescind DACA and he just did it, uh, had a political appointee basically opine or say that, uh, uh, cite the opinion of the attorney general that DACA was unconstitutional. Uh, and that was the only reason they gave. That reason turns out to be wrong. And by the time it got up to the Supreme Court, they were scrambling, trying to say, oh, but we could also say this, that, and the other. And everybody agreed they could have had they done it originally. In that sense, it seemed like a little bit technical. Justice Kavanaugh says, you know, why do we make them go through the whole rigmarole of doing it right? And and uh, Chief Justice Roberts re- replies in what will be the kind of sonorous soundbite of the case. Uh, there, there's a very famous doctor, we can get to a second, uh, having to do with tax cases and um, a man who doesn't quite file it right and so and loses at the Supreme Court. And Justice Holmes says, man must turn square corners when dealing with the government. And Roberts here said, well, the government must deal uh, turn square corners when dealing with people, especially when the stakes are so high as they are for the dreamers. So what they said technically is that under the law for doing uh, changes to administrative law, the Administrative Procedure Act, the uh, Department of Homeland Security didn't really give good reasons. So it was arbitrary and capricious. And it really was um, be, and it wasn't simply that they a technical failing, but what it enabled them to do was have Trump, you know, not look like such a hard hearted guy, throw up his hands and say, there's nothing we can do. It's illegal. So we're just trapped when uh, really what he wanted to do was rescind it uh, to please the base. So it, it, it also drives home that to do something like that, he should um, have political accountability. And now he will. Yeah, and what you were referring to there um, is something I just learned about today. I learned it from uh, first time I heard it was when Nina Totenberg put that quote out today on NPR, um, and that was Oliver Wendell Holmes in 1920, Rock Island, Arkansas, and Louisiana uh, v. United States uh, Railroad Company versus the United States, where you know he said justice uh, men must turn square corners when they deal with the government, and then Roberts took it a step further and said, and vice versa. And now, do you have time for a little more uh, arca- arcana on this because it's interesting? I do. That was going to be my that was going to be my question: is what's what more arcana do we have? Because <laughs> because I, the the square corners. Uh, uh, doctrine here, which I'd never heard of. I looked up. Apparently, I, I'm guessing it means the opposite of cutting corners or round corners. And so I, I really want to kind of know more about the uh, arcana and etymology of this. Right. Well, that is exactly what it means. You've got to, if they prescribe, you know, go to here and take a right. You can't just, um, you know, do exactly as you say, kind of cut corners. But what's important uh, is in the original case, 
they, they, there was a suit by a guy whom the U.S. was was mischarging for tax. And the law said, well, you have to pay the tax and then seek a refund. We all know that. But the guy was saying, what the hell? I don't everyone knows I don't know the tax. Just, you know, give let, let me uh, off the hook now. And that's when Holmes said you must turn square corners, the procedure that that is prescribed. But That's against the backdrop of another sort of um, bedrock maxim, which is the the government has sovereign immunity. So it can set the terms, the precise terms, according to when and why it is sued. So against that, if it draws a straight line, that straight line is the only avenue that is permitted for suit. Here, it was much different. Um, there's no there's no law that says the, the law in question is you can't be arbitrary and capricious, but there's no doctrine that's about so-called square corners generally. There was once a dissent by Justice Black, say, you know, qu- quoting it. But so for Roberts to say you sometimes have to turn, especially when the stakes are so high. You know, I'm not saying he's become a big lib. I, I very much don't believe it. Yet it's pretty remarkable that he's not, that he was recognizing the kind of equities. What's going on here? You know, people's lives are, everything about their lives as Americans are at stake and ready to be wiped out in a, in a blip by the Trump administration. And he says, when it comes to that, you'll turn some square corners. And you know what? That's a quote we're going to see in the future in cases where they're really um, uh, vindicating the rights of, of minorities in important settings. Yeah, and in particular, I know that uh, this, this wasn't made in their original argument back in the fall, but in April, in a court filing, they reminded the court that, or not reminded, but alerted the court to the fact that there are almost 29,000 DACA recipients that are frontline healthcare workers, and um, that it would be, uh, uh, you know, just it would be a bad idea to uh, to, <laughs> to do this yeah, no now. Um, Talking Feds, the podcast that that I host had a um, had a special episode with the presidents who of three universities who brought this. So Janet Napolitano from California. And Chris Eisgruber from Princeton, John Jenkins from Notre Dame. And that's what moved them. I mean, they talked very eloquently. I mean, these guys are university presidents about, you know, why this is America and, you know, not to get too, too uh, pie eyed, but it really it really is. And they and they they're such oh, virtuous and deserving plaintiffs. They've done everything right. They've done nothing wrong. They're pretty much blameless and they're more than blameless. They're already integrated important parts of the country and the economy, as the 29,000 in healthcare demonstrates. So it would have, besides that, well, let me put it another way. I think the reason that Roberts and the, and the other four were so willing to hold them to the square corners is that it would have been so nasty and hard-hearted for the administration to to just with a swipe of the pen make them go home but that's what the president wanted to do and not even be accountable for it he wanted to just say well this is what the law requires me to do sorry guys yeah and and also a lot of uh, tweets coming out following this decision that it's you know it's wonderful uh, home is here etc uh, but because this case was not decided on the the substantive matter, had, for example, uh, Trump 
uh, you know, square cornered his way uh, into this and done it correctly, quote unquote, the first time. We don't know what that merit meritous outcome would have been. We do. We do, actually. Okay. I mean, it says so right in the opinion. And it was it was uh, a shared notion at the Supreme Court level. It would have it would have worked. So um, I, it'll be interesting if they try it now, especially so late in the administration and his popularity so plummeting. But it, but Roberts says it straight out, uh, and and the uh, the, the, also. the the plaintiff said it straight out. You know, if he'd have done it right, it would have worked. But he did it wrong, thank God. So yeah, and so now, uh, of course, the you know, yes, this is a a, a W. Take the W. Uh, however. Uh, as Barack <laughs> yeah. Obama says, we have to stand up for those ideals. We have to move forward and elect Joe Biden and a Democratic Congress that does its job to protect dreamers and finally creates a system that's truly worthy of this nation of immigrants once and for all. Because had this technicality, just like just as you said, uh, had Trump come with his reasons in the first place, we wouldn't be here with this decision. Let me just read you from page nine, although I, I don't even want to add to, to a coda because what you say is so eloquent. But page nine, the dispute before the court is not whether DHS may rescind DACA. All parties agree that it may. The dispute instead is about the procedure they followed. And they didn't turn those four corners, those that poor agency. And somebody somebody is uh, well, actually, they probably left the administration already. The Duke memorandum. But um, there you there you have it. Yeah, and I know I I remember reading in um, the dissents. I think it was Alito saying, "Try again." You right. Know, so. And Kavanaugh says flat out, "What's the big deal? Why do we have to go through the whole thing again?" And and that's where the four corners come from. Yeah, there, there, I saw a lot of tweets also directed to Senator Collins today. You can probably put uh, two and two mm. together on that. Oh yeah, her concern and her uh, vote for Kavanaugh, and that guy's just a douchebag. So uh, it is. Very important that in order to maintain what we got today, that we have to vote in November. I mean, I really got to say there's everyone who hasn't seen it. There's a great picture in March from after the argument where so many dreamers who are there are walking down the stairs of the Supreme Court. And I just remembered what it felt like to be proud of my country and the rule of law. You know, that's it's just been shredded of late. And you think like, yeah. Uh, you, you see them and you're you're damn glad you live in the United States of America and you're not embarrassed about it. It was it really was in that sense kind of a, um, a cathartic case. It was. And uh, as we all know, the arc of the universe is long, uh, bends towards justice. I think we've had a great week and I hope we continue to see that. Uh, thank you, Harry Littman, for joining me today. And uh, good to be with you, AT. Yeah. And, and we'll be right back after this break. We're going to play you out to that the sound clip of, of the from the steps of the Supreme Court. So oh, great, great. Stay with us.
everybody, it's AG. And if you're looking for a fun way to pass the time while engaging your brain and challenging you with uh, neat puzzles, and you want to enjoy really, really breathtaking visuals, great color schemes, and a gripping story, your answer is Best Fiends. I love Best Fiends so much because it's a refreshing break uh, where fighting off hordes of slugs with cartoon insects is actually more normal than most of the stuff coming out of the White House these days. Best Fiends is a break from that, apart from self-care, uh, which I can focus on the character collection and the fun and challenging puzzles to engage my brain and have fun. Uh, it starts as a distraction, and then I was captivated. The uh, I love the colors, I love the sound. Uh, I got deeper into the story, the characters, most of which are bugs, and the antagonists that you have to defeat, which are slugs. Uh, it just, it really has, it just, it's... And it's, it's a casual game. You don't have to be a, like an avid gamer to play it either. You collect these characters, you level them up, you use them strategically at each level. I'm on level 215 now. And I find myself playing more in weird places at random times because it doesn't require the internet. So you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. It feels like a healthy distraction from being stressed out all the time. Uh, Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players. It's updated monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. Best, Best Fiends is a, a truly unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike other games out there. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, joining me today to discuss 2020 is election security advocate, writer, and attorney, Jennifer Cohn. Jennifer, thanks for agreeing to speak with me today. Hi, AG. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I haven't spoken to you in, in a while. I know you were with us. Was it live in Seattle? I was with you live in Seattle. It was so much fun. It was so scary, though. But yes, it was, it was really fun. <laughs> well, I, I've never forgotten. I was terrified. Uh, I was like ready to... I was ready to throw up while I was waiting to go on stage, but then it was really fun. I have never forgotten all the work you've done, and I've been seeing recently some of the posts that you've been uh, sharing about what is going on with voting in Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that. Um, sure. So what I've been reporting on and posting on actually for for a long time, and then it's zeroed in lately on sort of the South, but um, is a voting machine vendor called ESNS, Election Systems and Software, and they, they account for somewhere between 44% and 50%, maybe even a little higher, of U.S. election equipment. And they definitely seem to have uh, stronger ties to the GOP than to the Democratic Party. They really shouldn't have ties to either, but they've donated $30,000 to the GOP, uh, well, to the Republican State Leadership Committee, which helps elect. Republicans to state office since 2013. And they've had a lot of other sort of um, disconcerting uh, things reported about them in the past several years, not just by me by any means. But what, what I was, what I wrote an article about recently in Who, What, Why, and I've been sort of uh, posting about it over and over again to try to get people's attention is in um, both Shelby County, Tennessee, which is where Memphis is, and in Georgia. Both of those two places had a voting system that was maintained and serviced by ESNS. It was originally supplied by a vendor, a related vendor called Diebold Election Systems. There was one brother at Diebold and then another at ESNS, and then ESNS bought Diebold and dissolved Diebold and took over the contract. So they're, it's essentially ESNS voting systems in both places. And um, in both places, the machines are paperless, which means they don't have a hand-marked paper ballot, which means there's no way, there's no... The only way to confirm if an electronic outcome is accurate typically is with the is to compare a manual audit or recount of the handmarked paper ballots and compare that to the electronic outcome. So both of those places had ESNS machines that did not have that 
um, hand-marked paper ballots going with them, which, uh, you know, so they're essentially unauditable results. But <clears throat> what happened is in, in, is in 2015, the, a, an election commissioner in Shelby County in Memphis named Benny Smith, who's also a data analyst, was contacted by a candidate who had um, a Democratic candidate who had lost her race for county office. And um, she had asked him, you know, to do what he could to look into it. And he was kind of, for years, Democrats had been wondering why they were losing the county races in, in Shelby County, because it's a majority African-American county and African-American voters vote overwhelmingly Democratic. And it's a Democratic county to, well, it should be a Democratic county. So, so there have been a lot of suspicions for about a decade, I'd say, since like 20, and maybe a little less than that. Since about 2010, there had been a lot of suspicions among Democratic candidates that would lose county races there. And so what he did was, the machines are paperless, so he couldn't do anything there. But but what he, all voting machines, even the paperless ones, at the end of voting, they generate what's called a poll tape. And it's an after voting, and it's a summary of all of, well, it's a list of all of the vote totals from each voting machine. And candidates usually ignore them. Um, they shouldn't. But what you can do is you can that total from the precinct polling tapes should match what comes out the other end at the county because the county has a central tabulator that aggregates all of the precinct totals and then it prepares a report or it can prepare a report that has not just the total of all those different precincts but also has the breakdown by precinct. Mm -hmm. And so what, what Benny Smith was able to do, what Commissioner Smith was able to do, was get that breakdown by precinct and what he saw is that from the, um, well, he started with just one precinct. Um, he did some data analytics to figure out which one would be a likely target for manipulation. And it was a black church, predominantly black church, and um, almost every voter there was black. And, and the votes at the county tabulator, they were reduced, like dramatically. The vote totals were all reduced. Hmm. And so this was kind of like a bombshell because typically, like I said, everyone would just throw up their hands and say, well, we can't audit these machines. There's nothing we can do. And it was very suspicious. And then Bloomberg actually, because there was an election challenge pending, uh, Bloomberg reported on it back in 2015. It's a really excellent article. It didn't really, the headline didn't really reference what was going on, though. It was more generic. So I think it didn't get as much attention as it deserved. Um, and it was a huge deal. So Bloomberg came out and they investigated further and they found um, they invested. They were able to do some kind of analytics, and they checked the entire county, all of Shelby County. It's, it's the largest county in Tennessee, and they found that only there were 20 precincts, all predominantly African American, and all of them had had their vote totals just um, a, well, vote, a, a large number of vote totals eliminated by the central tabulator, or on somehow the central tabulator wasn't reflecting the full vote totals from those, and all the white, all the predominantly white precincts were fine. And so this was a really big deal, and there were even calls for the Republican election administrator who had previously been investigated by the FBI for after there were election irregularities of, of various sorts. Um, he like had suddenly resigned or retired really quickly, like within two days, um, of I think of the calls for his resignation and for a criminal investigation, and he resigned. And um, anyway, that's pretty – so she ran again. I guess she settled. She, are we on tape? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the candidate, I'm sorry, the election administrator, his name was Richard Holden, a Republican, he resigned. And I gather the county um, settled with the person who, her name is Wanda, God, I'm spacing on her last name, 
um, she's kind of a hero for actually pushing this to an election challenge. But she she settled and she ran again, and then she won the next time. Um, but every you know, it it was a really big deal, and so it should have made really national headlines at the time. But unfortunately, the national media kind of ignores these things. So then a few years later in Georgia, the a nonprofit run by another advocate named Marilyn Marks, um, it's the Coalition for Good Governance, decided to review the poll tapes from the Georgia lieutenant governor's race. And similarly found 127,000 votes that had seemingly vanished from predominantly black um, neighborhoods, precincts, with really no other explanation that could be provided. And it was also it was reported in The Root, and it was report, reported somewhere else, and it was also sort of a big deal. Um, and it, there was an election challenge pending, but it got dismissed by the court because the, um, the candidate that won won by more than 127,000 votes, which is really frustrating because you can have a combination of things. You could have, you know, the voter suppression plus the uh, vote tampering. So that's just kind of hanging out there. And so you put those two together from the same vendor, disappearing black folks, and it's kind of a big deal. And mm-hmm. so I've been, and it, it's really almost like the strongest evidence that's been out there that something is really, really amiss with our electronic voting machines. Because unfortunately, even when we have paper, we typically don't do those robust manual recounts or, or even manual or even manual audits that are meaningful. I mean, in 2016, we didn't get the manual recount. So we're just relying on electronic outcomes generally and assuming that they're correct, so, which is really scary. So anyway, I've, I've been trying to raise attention for this. And, oh, they're about to buy a new system. That's the thing. So in Tennessee, they want to buy the Republicans there determined to get another system from the same vendor, a very sketchy kind of new system. Uh, without hand-marked paper ballots, I assume. Not hand-marked. It would have um, – so what they did is they can't – it would have paper, but it's paper and it, it's marked with a barcode. And it, it's kind of a long, complicated thing, but it is not a hand-marked software-independent paper ballot, no. Yeah, just as useless um, <laughs> as, as not having a hand-marked paper ballot, pretty much. Um, question for you. Yeah, arguably. Because uh, I know you and I spoke about that in, in Seattle last year. Um, yeah, I'm very concerned about the barcode systems. Yeah, uh, me, myself included. Uh, now, has anyone looked, I mean, I, you know, we can't do a full audit because we don't have those handmarked paper ballots. But with this, you know, this reconciliation that they were doing to, to discover all of these, you know, the disappearing of black boats, did they ever, has anyone ever run poll tape on the 2016 presidential election in those precincts? I, I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. You know, it's kind of, it's time consuming and it can be expensive. You know, you have to typically, well, what you have to do is you have to send people to the polling places after people are done voting and have them photograph the precinct poll tapes. And no one really does this. And so it's kind of election integrity advocates, a lot of whom don't have a lot of money, doing it on their own dime, trying to organize a ragtag crowd. Well, the adults in the room, you know, in the, um, in the well, more well-funded organizations falsely assure everybody that they don't really, we don't, we don't really need to worry about election fraud. So it's kind of hard to get that critical mass of people you need to cover a lot of precincts. And yeah, so no, I don't believe anything has happened. Every, anything was done right 2016. I've been dying to do it with 2018, but it's a huge task and also, you know, financially a burden. And so I haven't done it. I was dying to do it on some of those races. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, because we know Mueller uh, said in his report that he, uh, nor the FBI counterintelligence unit, nobody investigated whether or not the vote tally was manipulated or voting, you know, actual votes were manipulated. And so that... Exactly, they didn't look into it. That always just left this sort of black hole. I don't know why they didn't do that, and I don't know why anyone isn't. Um, Here's some other questions, because I've read some other things, I've seen some other things on the socials that... Uh, seemed concerning to me, and I just wanted to check the validity of them. Does first of all, does is it true that Ivanka owns patents for voting machines? Is that a thing? No, she owns trademarks ah. for voting machines. She got voting machine trademarks, and I was never never practiced trademark law or anything. But I read. I mean, people often do this as a defensive measure so that someone else wouldn't make voting machines and you know, say they call them Ivanka voting machines, you can do it preemptively. I don't know that it is concerning. It concerned me when I first read it. But unfortunately, it's almost led to this. I get so tired of telling people, I mean, there's zero credible source. No no one is saying that her machines have been manufactured. Mm-hmm. And no one has said, much less that they've been sold. And yet that rumor persists. And I, it, it's, you know, I, I'm glad you asked. But I Often, I just do sort of a cut and paste of the same response. There is no credible source claiming that Ivanka machines have been made or sold. No credible source. Because it comes up a lot. Yeah, and that's why so, I wanted no, we've to got ask. plenty of problems with the vendors we do have. Yeah, because people need to spend their energy. Yeah, people need to spend their energy on other things. Um, so I just wanted to clear clear that up. And then also probably along the same lines, used voting machines for sale on Craigslist. What's that? Um, I hadn't read that. It's that is certainly possible. Yeah, I don't get that. And then that. that could tell hacker. I think it's probably true, um, or it has been in the past anyway. And then you could, you know, a bad actor could figure out how to hack into them, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen this. We've we've seen students and hackers like hack. We've seen like a twelve-year-old hack into a voting machine. Like it's not a hard thing to do. Um, and, and and that brings me to my final question. With all of these black boats being disappeared in, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, for example, um, that we've seen, how does that happen? Does that happen from someone hacking in and changing the totals or from reporting it falsely or either? So I think there are many probably different ways that it would happen. But when the two don't match up, that suggests something at the county tabulator. And that's sort of like a treasure chest. If you're a hacker and you can access the county tabulator, that's that's a big deal. And so this kind of leads to another point. So for years, this vendor had denied that it had ever, um, that not, that its systems had been sold with remote access installed in those county tabulators. And it turns out that wasn't true. And they finally admitted it when Ron Wyden, um, he didn't have a subpoena, but he's a you know, U.S. senator, and he asked them in writing, and they finally said, okay, yeah, our bad, but it's only a handful of jurisdictions. And then a really good um, there was a really great article by a journalist named Kim Zetter. She wrote that up. And after she wrote it up, ESNS admitted to NPR that it was actually 300 jurisdictions, but it wouldn't say where they are. We actually do know from sort of these um, election integrity advocates that do stuff on their own dime, uh, Bev Harris of Black Box Voting, she, uh, she and her team discovered that Shelby County actually did have remote access in its county tabulators as of 2006. And as far as anyone knows, it never was removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were, it's complicated. ESNS claims it's confirmed that all of the remote access has been removed from its systems. But they, sorry about that beeping. I, that's probably mine. My phone is on the blink. But no, it's okay. They claim it's been, 
they claim it's been removed, um, but they didn't say how they determined that it was removed. And they're always so careful with their wording that technically these are Diebold systems that they then, you know, acquired the contract. So it could be that they've left it in. I don't know. So, no one knows. It's, you know, they, the code is proprietary. They don't let anybody look at it for the most part. It was a lawsuit that got them to look at it in 2006. All right. So a very rare event. So it wasn't only a handful. And, and even if it was, let's, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that it was only a handful. How many Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, have lost by a handful of votes? Well, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't take a lot. And the thing with Shelby County, by the way, so one way you could do it would be to remote act, remote into the system and change the votes in the central tabulator. Um, that would be a, an easy way to do it. But you don't even need to remote in. Actually, you could just... Um, sit in the county office if you're an insider and do it. And in fact, another election commissioner who I'm hoping to interview named uh, Norma Lester told Benny Smith, who I did interview, um, that ESNS had the key to the central tabulation room. Who did? And so ESNS's representatives uh. or their contractor. And so, yes, they. It, I'm not saying they did do anything, but they could have. Ah, and they're majorly ref- funded by Republicans. <laughs> right. And so it it warrants a, a serious criminal investigation, and instead they're getting award about to be awarded another contract because the great another great sort of irony and injustice is that although this is a predominantly Democratic county or should be, Republicans um, control the election commission there because under state law, all the counties commissions are comprised have the, the majority is given to whichever party controls the state legislature and so oh. the republicans control the state legislature so so they get to decide well theoretically they get to decide the funding commission actually is is led by democrats and i'm really hoping they'll push back and not by anything from esns but choose a different vendor um hopefully not dominion either so that's georgia's new vendor terrible their machines failed it, it was bad but in any yeah, event um, i know yeah we were we i'm hoping that. that the democrats Yep, I'm hoping the Democrats don't um, cave, basically, because the Republicans in the administrator has already said that they they might sue or that they could sue. Reminded the Democrats on the commi- on the funding commission that they could sue if they override their decision, and so they're trying to bully them into picking the same vendor, the disappearing black votes, and remote access, and God knows what else. Well, what a clever trick, right? Gerrymander the state so you have a Republican. Uh, state legislature and then rule that the Republicans are in charge of the election commission in your state, despite. Yeah. Yeah. What that super clever. It's incredibly upsetting. And what all this is telling me, and by the way, you know, I've also been looking at a bit at Alabama um, and that, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but Don Siegelman was is the last democratic governor of Alabama and his race in the dead of night, 6,000 votes were subtracted from his vote total when the doors were locked at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, Carl Rove was very involved in that election, his his um, minions. And one of his clients was the attorney general of Alabama, and he seized the paper ballots before they could be recounted. It was just one precinct that those 6,000 suddenly disappeared. Not hard to recount unless uh, Carl Rove's AG swoops in and, and grabs them, and then they illegally certified the outcome. And then well, they, just they a, came up with a new crime to, to prosecute him and throw him in jail. Yeah, that's just a handful, though, right, Jennifer? That's just a handful. <laughs> yeah, 6,000 votes, mm, right? my God. And, um, yeah, there's all kinds of really scary stuff happening, and it just flies under the radar. You know, I'm, I'm, it gets really tiring hearing from some people, like, you can't tell people that there are concerns that we, that we have to worry about cheating or they won't turn out and vote. And I just think it's stupid because the Republicans tell their people all the time that Democrats are cheating. I mean, they're making it up. 
mm. about millions of illegals voting, which not only is there no evidence of it, but it's totally implausible that millions of people would risk prison time individually, whereas it's very plausible that one or two insiders might do something, right? Uh, oh, um, yeah, especially for the... proprietary where nobody can look. Especially for the right price, so... Right. But everybody, you know, they tell the Republicans all the time that Democrats are cheating and the Republicans turn out to vote. It's it's almost like I almost feel like the Republicans planted this seed mm. and the Democrats fell for it. Like of you course. can't talk about our possibly stealing your elections because then no one will turn out to vote. So you better not say anything. Yeah. Well, how many millions of dollars have the Republicans spent to convince people their votes don't matter? Um, I mean, it's. <laughs> It's a it's a cycle. But um, can you tell uh, our listeners, our listeners are very engaged, very plugged in with a lot of resources, how they can help? What can we do? Yeah. So what all of this is kind of telling me, like, so Siegelman's race actually even had hand marked paper ballots, which is but they were it was the doors were all closed. Right. When uh, when things went down and the chain of custody was broken. Um, And so what this all tells me is that we need tens of thousands of monitors. And we already know Trump is organizing 50,000 probably white supremacist Nazis, as many as he can find, to um, to monitor the polls. So we're going to need at least that many and maybe more to monitor the polls, including places with hand-marked paper ballots um, and including not just Election Day, but the counting of absentees is going to be a really big deal. Um, they're going to be haggling over signatures and trying to toss you know, from certain zip codes, they're going to try to invalidate as many absentee ballots as they can. So we need tens of millions of people to do this. And although I do think the ACLU and other similar large organizations organize poll workers and maybe to an extent poll um, monitors for the absentee ballots, because they won't talk about the potential for fraud, they don't train people to look for that. And we need people who are trained to look for that. So I don't know, maybe there's a group that's doing that, um, and maybe, or maybe there's a group that hasn't thought of it but would be willing to expand what they're doing to include this, in which case I'd love them to reach out to me. Um, scrutineers.org is, and, and smartelections.us are two sort of smaller nonprofits, or, or I don't know if Smart Elections is a nonprofit, but they're two smaller election integrity groups that are looking to do this sort of poll tape thing and training of monitors. And they could really use hand and maybe they could team up with some of these larger groups and and train people to know what to look for because I just I just think we can't be naive going into this because they will try to not only suppress the votes in a, you know, challenging IDs and all that, but I we have to know what to look for in terms of fraud. We need people who are gonna photograph poll tapes and do all kinds of stuff. So they have to be all over it, just like they're gonna be all over it, the Republicans. All right. Well, that's how uh, that's how you can help out. So uh, look for those uh, head to those uh, websites and their organizations to see if if there's anything you can do. And uh, Jennifer, thanks for thanks for speaking with us today about this really, really important issue, especially in an election year. Yes. Thank you very much for having me on. And if people want to find me, I I post on Twitter frequently. My handle is at Jenny Cohn one J-E-N-N-Y-C-O-H-N. All right. Thank you so much. Everybody stick around because right after this break, we will be back with the good news block. So you don't want to miss it. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. 
uh, from coffee and supplements to pet treats. CBD is popping up in everything these days, but it can be confusing and complicated with dosing and how you can tell what's good or organic and what's good for your body. And even more importantly, who you can trust. Uh, those were some of the questions I had, but Sunsoil CBD had all the answers. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from. It's all transparent. There's no second guessing because they only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of their products have just two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Transparency and quality control are what sets Sunsoil apart from the rest, and they farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountains farms, Green Mountain Farms of Vermont, and they extract the CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity every step of the way. They never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. And because Sunsoil does everything in-house, and keeps their products simple, they can offer high, the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. Every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their drops, soft gels, capsules, and coconut oil. Uh, I put a few of the oil drops in my morning coffee or sometimes in a smoothie after a workout. And sometimes I take a soft gel at night before getting some great sleep. One of the greatest things about Sunsoil is that as the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, They'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and our planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at an unbeatable price. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on. And joining us for the good news today is Amanda Reader. Amanda, how are you? Doing well. Um, we were just talking about before I came on air that uh, I'm randomly, Joelle and I have decided to foster a dog as of today, unexpectedly. So that's big news in my world at this moment. It is, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's honestly it's the kind of people that you and Joelle are. The, the, apparently, Aww. some lady just abandoned a dog at a groomer ran, and like ran away, and the dog tried to follow the lady and got almost got hit by a car, and and just left the dog there. And mm-hmm. and the groomer was like, "What are we gonna do?" And of course, the uh, wonderful and amazing Joelle and, and Amanda were like, "We will foster the dog." So Aww. thank you for being good people. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it's funny. Uh, the groomer lady said to me, she was like, I'm glad I went with my gut and asked you. I had a feeling you would say yes. Um, I guess they, she actually asked the woman who abandoned the dog, hey, are you sure you don't want this dog? And she was like, no, I don't want her and just ran away. So that poor baby needs a place to stay. So Aww. we're going to we're gonna keep her until we figure out someone to give her a long-term home. So um, that's the first bit of good news. And you never know. Moo might love her and maybe might like help calm Moo down and, and keep Moo oh, that's keep true. Moo sort of uh distracted from from the <laughs> goings on of the complex, which causes him to bark sometimes, you know. He's very Yes, yes. He's yes. very Mrs. Roper in that, you know, looking out the window all the time and trying to figure out what's going on with the neighbors and then and then voicing his <laughs> concerns when something happens. He's a very good pod dog. I wonder where he gets that from. Uh, do- hey, I am not saying a word, but um, that is wonderful news. And then I have something yes. I, I would like to kick off. Uh, well, yeah, we've already please. kicked off the segment. I would like to uh, sort of uh, secondarily kick off the segment with something that's going on on social media. Hashtag. 
All right, so this is so beautiful. Trending on Twitter. As we all know, we've had this discussion with uh, Harry Lippman. We talked about it at the top of the show. The Supreme Court told Trump to go fuck himself today, and DACA recipients can stay. And I have been all day just combing through the hashtag home is here. And it's mm. just been it's just so wonderful. Like, I'm getting choked up just talking about it because... I know. I mean, the, the dreamers are uh, our future. They are pay taxes they work the 29,000 of them are, are frontline healthcare workers they're mm-hmm. medical students uh just uh, the fa- this is the fabric of our country and that that mm-hmm. that people still want to deport the dreamers and and they probably mm-hmm. will file to do it again because they you know the supreme court decision wasn't decided on the merits of the case it was because trump is too stupid to figure out how to do anything Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that um, that he cut corners, and that's why this this didn't go through. And even the judges even said, uh, if he had done it right, we would have probably agreed with you, Trump. So <laughs> they're going to continue to try. So it's very important that we vote. But check out the hashtag Home is here. It's really just giving me giving me a lot of hope. That's so nice. Yeah, I saw um, Home is here, and also Here to Stay was another really beautiful one. Um, I was listening to a podcast earlier, which was talking about just in terms of numbers for for the dreamers who are going to get to stay, there's about 640,000 people who uh, who have DACA. And, um, and so many of those people have children now, too. And so a quarter of a million American children have parents who are DACA recipients. So it's not just, you know, we'd be breaking up families of hundreds of thousands of, of people, you know, people yeah. who not only is this the only home they've ever known, but this is the only home their children have ever known. And so... If you think about how much of cruelty throughout history was legal, you know, you have to think about that. You, you have to put that aside, put aside any other arguments and simply think about the fact that there are children here who would have their parents taken away from them. And that's not right. So um, anyway, I'm so happy for them, especially given that so many people were so pessimistic about the outcome of this. It's even mm-hmm. it's even sweeter. So mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. so congratulations Yay. to all of our listeners who who held out hope and didn't give up on our justice system yet. <laughs> um, uh, I think um, I think today is uh, this week is payday. This is it's just beautiful to see. And um, mm-hmm. con- congratulations to everyone who fought so hard. And I know we'll continue to fight um, for what is right. So it's so amazing to have had two wins in the Supreme Court in the last week. I barely know how to feel joy. I think. <laughs> It's hard, right? You're like, should do I? Is yeah. it? Am I? Yay! Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Yay! Mm-hmm. Also, oh God, I think I've forgotten what this feels like. Um, that's sad, but anyway, nonetheless, it's good. Uh, let's kick off the good news. The first one is from Rebecca. Rebecca says, uh, "My child and I are moving from an upstairs apartment into a house. Hell yes." My kiddo is autistic and I spend a lot of time feeling guilty for either denying the kid the important outlet of bouncing incessantly like they need to, um, or for the noise from said bouncing that my poor downstairs neighbors have to suffer through. Also, I can now get on my treadmill late at night or early in the morning and we'll have a backyard. Also great for the kiddo. By the way, as a mom to a non-binary as well as autistic kid, I really appreciate the attention to pronouns that you ask for on the form. Oh, Yay. Thank you. Um, yeah, love that. Um, and what a ra- right. and what a rad mom and congratulations! Oh, and... I know that's so great, especially at a time like this when everyone's spending so much more time at home. It's it's so important to feel 
you're like as comfortable as you can. So that's a that's a huge thing. You know, I as someone who lives in an apartment without any outdoor space, I can imagine how you are feeling right now. And I'm very happy for you. Um, okay. The next one's from an anonymous, uh, and they say a close relative of mine who does genealogy as a hobby was horrified to find out that many of our ancestors in the South had quote unquote owned enslaved people. She decided to donate $50 to Black Lives Matter immediately because she believes in reparation and wanted to begin with what she could do herself now. She would like to challenge Daily Beans listeners, especially those who also may have had ancestors who enslaved people, to match that donation to Black Lives Matter or other similar organizations fighting for justice and to an end to police brutality toward Black people. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, also from Anonymous. I work for a large corporation, and they have decided to make Juneteenth a company holiday for education and reflection in light of recent events. I love this. Also, that's been, uh, we've gotten that suggestion a lot for for a happy hour theme. Um, they have already committed to keeping this company a holiday in the years to come. Our company has also been very responsive regarding COVID, and I was very happy to hear that they're listening to the world changing and responding accordingly. That's great. Yes. Yeah. I would love to see more yeah. companies make Juneteenth the company holiday. Yes, I, I concur. Mm-hmm. And then also get rid of Columbus Day. Let's just do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, from Anonymous, I know that pets are a critical part of the Daily Beans family. Very pertinent good news story, <laughs> given that I just randomly adopted a dog unexpectedly today that the universe dropped into my lap. Uh, so I wanted to share our latest experience with our 15-year-old dog, Colin. Ooh, that's an old boy. Uh, last week, we took him to the vet first. Colin is a great name, by the way. Colin is... Colin is a great name. That's such a good old man name for a dog. I really love that. Mm-hmm. I can just hear him go... Hum, 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 hum. <laughs> exactly. Precisely that. With his glasses sliding off his nose, but not really because he's a dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> they did an x-ray to be thorough and told us that the image showed a mass on his spleen. We already knew that his spleen was enlarged, but this was new and worrying, especially when we learn that cancer or not, it's a matter of when, not if, it will burst. Even at 15, he is active and otherwise healthy, having survived numerous misadventures, including a coyote attack. A coyote attack. Damn. <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> uh, somewhere, somewhere rural, I guess. Uh, when he was 11, and we were horrified that something would happen to him. So despite the risk of surgery at his age, we decided that he should have it and dropped him off yesterday for the pre-surgery ultrasound, after which they would set the surgery date. A couple of hours later, I heard my husband crying and my heart sank. But it turned out to be good news. The patch on the x-ray turned out to be just more of his enlarged spleen and no need for surgery. Uh, They then asked my husband if he would not pick him up right away because they loved having him there and he was still meeting everyone. (laughs) Now he's back home. I know. (laughs) Now he's back home competing with our six-year-old dog for attention. My daughter later remarked, he's not fat. He's just big spleened. Oh, God. (laughs) Very clever. Very clever. I'm going to use that myself. I'm just big spleen. <laughs> Same. Yeah, exactly. After I eat a whole whole pizza and I writhe in pain, I'll say, I'm just, I just got a big spleen. Yeah. Kraft macaroni and cheese is, Kraft <laughs> dinner's happening tonight. Um, Wow. That, that's, what good news. And, and what an emotional roller coaster. Hear your husband crying and just have your heart sink and then, and then find out it's all, it's good news. And then, oh, I know. that's just, mm. I know. Good boy, Colin. I mean, if, Good boy. If, if you have a either a human baby or a fur baby, you know the like heart racing, just like anxiety inducing feeling, and your 
you know, stomach is in your throat when you're oh. worried about their health. So we had, oh, we had <sighs> last year, over a year ago, last May, uh, everybody donated to help uh, the podcat get his tumor removed. It turned out to be like a mm-hmm. pound and a half of tumor. Uh, and it's he's still cancer free. It hasn't come back. But that when he was in surgery under the knife, I was a wreck. I couldn't think about anything else. And and mm. and, but he's good now. And everyone, you all saved his life. So thank you, and I love you. And tell Colin is Colin around? Bring Colin over to the whatever you listen. I almost said radio. Send us a picture of Colin. Bring Colin over to the radio. Radio. Uh, I, I want to <laughs> say hi, Colin. Colin, good boy. Hello. Yes. You're a very distinguished gentleman. You're, you're a cute little chubby spleened pupper. <laughs> you're a big spleened and don't ever let anyone tell you anything different, Colin. Good, good boy. <laughs> good boy. Um, all right. Uh, next up from Anonymous. Uh, I work for a high-end furnishings company. One of our clients is the interior designer to Betsy DeVos. Boo. We hate her. Uh, who was preparing to purchase some things from us until she called last week to ensure our company would not be making any public statements supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. She said it would be embarrassing for Betsy and quote-unquote against her core beliefs to purchase from a company involved in such things. I wanted more information. I want to scoop this story. I want more information. Is this restoration hardware? Who is this? Yeah. Send us, if you're willing to uh, give us some more information anonymously, send us another confession uh, and include your email and we'll get in touch. I will break this story. I will make it happen. I I mean, so far, I'm loving it. It's juicy as hell. Um, This was escalated to our VP of marketing who told the designer that while we would not be making any public statements, we also find her position reprehensible and would not be selling any products to Ms. DeVos in future, as it would be embarrassing to have our brand associated with her core beliefs. Yeah! Fuck yeah. And if it is restoration (laughs) hardware, you don't need her dirty fucking money. (laughs) I've given you uh, my life savings already. But, uh, wow, that's awesome. And and yeah, let us know. Let us know. I won't won't give the name of the company out, but if I I can get a... I want to... I want people to know what DeVos did. That's fantastic. Yep. Anyway. I fucking love that. I mean, unsurprising. That is good. Uh, unsurprising, but still so good. I'm that's that's great. And I'm I'm proud of whatever company it is that you work for for saying that to her. Um alrighty. Another from Anonymous. Hello all. I love Malishiro and the Daily Beans and have been a fan since the beginning. As many have said before, you keep me informed and sane. Last year, after a very painful few days that ended in the ER, I found out that I have endometriosis. For listeners Mm. with female reproductive parts, speak up to your doctor if you have pain or painful cramps. Not to scare anybody, but it's much more common than people realize and definitely not talked about enough. One of the possible impacts of endometriosis can be infertility, which is upsetting and worrying for my husband and me as we had dreamed of having biological children. One surgery and some time later, I am just beyond thrilled to share that I am pregnant with our first child, a baby girl that we are expecting in November. I wanted to share this good news with the Beans community as I found that talking about a new little life coming into this world seems to lift people's spirits, especially during these hard times. So cheers from an ecstatic mommy-to-be. <sighs> That's... Yay. And, and endometriosis is no... 
joke. And you're right. Women, we have such a high tolerance for pain that we often just sort of pat, dismiss it, dismiss like shit that's going on as cramps or eh, it's just the lady stuff or but it can be serious. You can have mm-hmm. um, cysts Absolutely. or endometriosis. Mm-hmm. It's and so definitely just you know get that ultrasound and 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 make it happen. And congratulations! Yay! Yay! Congrats! That's so fucking exciting. Oh, beanie babies. <laughs> Um, God, the good news is so good today. It's a really good, good news block. I was like, when I was putting it together, I was like, damn. Um, we have two more. Perfect. This next one is, uh, from Maz, who says, I come from a very Catholic family in Buffalo, New York. Yes, that Buffalo, New York. My godmother is a butch queen and is also my mother's sister. When my aunt came out to the family in 2005, my mother had a hard time understanding and believing her. Mom thought her acceptance of my aunt should have been enough. I spent years uh, trying to explain how my mother's own misunderstanding of uh, Aunt M's life is so harmful. Long story short, um, my mama took a big dinner over to my aunt's house this week to recognize the SCOTUS decision on LGBTQ people. It truly warmed everyone's hearts that she took it upon herself to acknowledge this for my aunt, who has felt so misunderstood by her siblings for so many years. My dad was also one of those fiscal Republicans and a military man. He has gotten so into Trevor Noah this past year that his entire ideology has shifted in such a short period of time, and it's amazing to watch. He changed his status to Democrat, and it honestly brought tears to my eyes. So we can change hearts and minds. It is happening. It's the, it's the little wins that keep us going. Big, big love from London. Hashtag defund the police. Oh, much love to Aunt M. And Yay, everyone. that's so nice. I'm not crying. And, um, Shut up. <laughs> you know, right. It's an emotional day. Oh, um, all right. We have one left and it's on a similar subject here, which I love. This is from Richard in Chicago. And Richard says, uh, so back in March, right before the COVID teen started, my husband and I bought a house. Congratulations. But that's not the good news I'm sharing, although it has been great to have a yard As I started sending out change of address cards to friends and family, I gritted my teeth and finally came out to my aunt and uncle, the last of my immediate family, to know that I was gay. Via a letter, of course, because I needed some insulation, coming out to my parents was a not-good-news segment, let's just say. Today they gave me a call and told me that they love me unconditionally and would love to meet my husband. After so many years of avoiding speaking to them about my life at family functions, it feels so good to be able to tell them the truth and talk to them. I grieve for the time I've lost, but I'm so grateful for the time ahead. Oh, man. I know. Okay. I know. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. cool. This was a good good news blog, you guys. It's it's amazing sometimes (laughs) how how much we fear, you know, how others will respond to whatever news we're giving them and mm-hmm. and that often oftentimes it's it's I, I it's like oh that that's it you're you're cool fuck yeah mm-hmm. and then you know uh that's so wonderful i think the thing is though is that I, I know i know especially for a lot of you know queer people um if you have uh, a bad experience with one family member or one friend in terms of coming out, it can really instill so much fear into you for taking those steps oh. with everyone that that you need to take those steps with. And so it's like – That's why we you know, have those fears. You know, that's why mm-hmm. the, those fears are real and, and – Exactly, yeah. And, and, and should be honored, you know. I mean, it's – um, I know. 
Wow. What a, what a great surprise. Yeah, that's really nice. Congratulations, Richard. Congratulations, everybody on this list um, for your healthy dogs and your babies and your houses and your accepting families and <sighs> your companies, which are making a difference in the Black Lives Matter movement and all of this. So, um, yes, excellent good news block. Please keep submitting your good news. You can do so on the pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter, or you can find uh, the submission form on our contact page of our website. Um, yeah, send them in. You can do so anonymously if you want to share something juicy. <laughs> oh. And and yeah. whoever has the company that, that talked to Betsy DeVos, even if you just tell me who it is off the record, I won't tell anybody, but I got to know because that's rad. And yeah. I'm going to give them my money. <laughs> I so shop good, there. Right? Can we buy? Yeah, can we'd love to buy. We'll keep it on the down low, but we'd love to buy furniture from your company as opposed to another yeah. company. Yes. Um, and we can, you know, if you want us to keep it on the DL, we totally can. All right. <clears throat> I am totally fine. Not crying. Uh, everything's good. <laughs> Thank you for submitting these incredible good news stories. What a wonderful way to end the week. Uh, We will see you all um, on the uh, live stream. Happy hour meet and greet. Maybe our theme should Mm -hmm. be justice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, justice is a great theme. And um, unless unless we've already had justice, but I say whatever, Mm. we can do it again. Screw it. Um, yeah, if you're listening on Thursday, if you're a patron listening on Thursday night, it's going to be tomorrow at 4 p.m. If you're listening, if you're uh, a member of the general public, that will be today, Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, patrons get access to the first hour, which is from 4 to 5 p.m. And then we tweet out the link for the second half, which is at 5 p.m. And we'll tweet that out at Muller Shiro and at Daily Beans Pod in case you want to join in and watch our video live stream. We've been, it's been fun. We've been taking a lot of guests and, um, it's it's our thirteenth week doing this now. I think so. Yeah, it's the thirteenth yeah. live stream. It's like a whole new show with no ads <laughs> and cocktails. It's fun. It's a fun way to uh, <laughs> it's a fun way to to connect with everyone and a lot of people. It's part of their weekly schedule and they hang out in the chat area and people have made friends and it's really cool. You know, it's something a little something that ever, that people can do to connect with each other who are beans listeners and uh and people join from all over the world some folks are who are in other uh, you know on on the other side of the planet it's not a it's not an evening happy hour for them it's like a morning mimosa happy hour for them <laughs> yeah but you know what fuck it airport rules i say exactly. in quarantine you can have you can have a bloody mary at nine in the morning you can have whiskey at nine in the morning uh i am not gonna criticize you i will just yeah, be no, joining you no criticizing all right everybody have a wonderful weekend uh please take care of yourselves take care of the planet take care of each other and take care of your mental health i've been ag i've been amanda reader and them's the beans the daily beans is executive produced and directed by ag and jordan coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie mazell and starburns industries our marketing manager executive assistant production and social media direction is amanda reader fact checking and research by ag jordan coburn and amanda reader our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>